we started a journey that we called The Journey. And uh, you should have received either uh, here last week or in the mail a booklet called uh, This is the Gospel, Life is About Relationship. And uh, I will just apologize that the print is small. There is a large story behind that, but I'm not going to share it. Uh, if you want to hear it, come and ask me and I'll, I'll tell you. Um, the book you received today is a little bit different, and uh, it's a little bit bigger. So uh, there you are. You'll be able to read it, and uh, like, like I said, there's a story there. But books two and three, so you'll get book two today. Uh, book three is called The Pursuit. You're going to get that next week. And these are daily devotionals. And so I want to encourage you, don't get hung up on the timeline. Um, if you're someone that you're like, man, I'm just overwhelmed in my life. There's no way I can do this every day. Just start. Do what you can each day, and you don't have to worry about where we are uh, because the fourth book is actually going to kind of rehash all of this information. And so what my hope is, as I've given these to you, uh, these are actually a series that's put out by the Southern Baptists, actually, that's who puts it out. And uh, what they are used for is for people who put faith in Christ for the first time to be able to disciple them. And so as I've sent these to you, I've prayed over them. And I've prayed, one, that God will use them in our lives to ground us. Because sometimes we forget why it is that we're doing what we do. We forget uh, the things that Jesus taught us. And uh, Peter himself said, it's good for me to remind you of these things. So that's part of it. But I also believe that we need to be ready to make disciples. And this is a tool. It's not the only tool. You don't have to use my tool. You can use whatever. If you're ready to make a disciple, if someone walked up to you today and said, hey, would you just disciple me? I, I want to accept Jesus and I want to follow him. And you are ready, then you know what? You don't need to use my books. But if you're like, oh, I don't know what I would do. Um, then here, try this. And see if this would work for you. Um, and so my hope is that some people will put them on a shelf and someday we'll pick them up and use them. Uh, some people will use them now. And so I am not going to get hung up or worried about whether or not you're doing your homework. That's not what the series is about. The series is about making sure that we're on a journey. And I know that for some of us, we're like, well, man, I, um, I don't know. Are we ready for that, Pastor? Are we ready to make disciples? Yes. Um, and if we're not, we need to get ready. How many of you know that you can physically have a baby before you're ready to have a baby? Would you agree? When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and you are ready to spiritually reproduce. Are you ready to disciple them? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But apparently, yes, you are. From the moment of salvation. We like to think, well, you need to wait till you're more grounded before. No, I just don't know that that's the way anymore. Um, I think you need to, I think we need to start reproducing. But here's the thing. When, when a person gets pregnant, they don't wait nine months to get ready for the baby to come. They paint the nursery. They buy supplies. Like they get ready for the baby. I want to build a nursery. And so that's what these books are all about. If you remember Joe Stalin, he wrote the book Hunted and Called, and he was here uh, a few weeks or a few maybe months ago now. And he talked about him, their, their desire to have a baby, and they haven't been able to have a baby. And do you know what they did as an act of faith? They, they made a nursery. They made a nursery, and they pray over that thing and say, God, we want a child. And uh, they're believing God to do that. And in some ways, spiritually, that's what some of you are going to be asked to do. Because some of you are probably here today and you're like, man, I don't know that I could disciple someone. I need wholeness. 
you're right. And I, I believe that as you disciple someone else and lead them toward wholeness, God is going to bring wholeness as you walk. Does that make sense? Um, it's, I can't explain it. Um, hopefully I'll explain it as we go through today. But I believe that too many of us are waiting for a time before we step out in faith, we're waiting for something that's not going to come until we step out in faith. I'll say that again. I think too many of us are waiting for something to change before we take a step of faith, and that thing is only going to change when we take the step of faith. And so that's where we're going. And uh, as I talked about earlier in the service, John chapter 5, I've been praying um, for God to show us what it means to pick up our mat and walk. Pick up our mat and walk. Um, for all of us, we're going to maybe move at different paces in this journey. Uh, some of you are going to devour these things, and you're going to be ahead of us, and you're going to run. Oh, Jesus, run. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, just run, okay? Don't wait for me. You, you just run. Some of you are going to walk, and you're going to be at a much slower pace, and it, just walk. Some might crawl. You might crawl. You might, like, read a paragraph a day and be like, I can't do any more. Just crawl. I don't roll, do whatever you need to do. Just go on the journey, okay? So the sermons are going to kind of supplement. They're not going to always come right out of the books. They're going to supplement it. Um, the Monday night meetings are really just a chance to interact, talk about what we've read, talk about what God's doing in our lives to get us better at just you know, interacting with what God's doing in our lives. So we stop talking about sports and weather and we actually talk about what God is doing. So we stop talking about what do you think about this piece of doctrine and how that really, I want to know what is God doing to show up in your life today? How has he impacted your heart today? I don't care when he's coming back. I just care what he's doing in your life right now. How is he changing your, your hard heart? How is he changing uh, your, the way you treat your spouse? How is he changing the way you act at work? How is he moving in your life? And that's what those conversations are all about. So it's not for us to dissect the doctrines of faith. Uh, if you want to do that, let's have coffee and dissect them. That moment is just to, just to talk about what God is doing in our lives and maybe like let fire jump on some other people too. So that's what it's all about. If you don't want the books, as I said last week, um, just text the church mobile number, say, I don't want them, you won't offend me. Um, if you're watching online, uh, anyone who's an attender of our church gets them. So if you don't want them, uh, you won't offend me, just say, I don't need them. One last thing I want to talk about. Today opens um, the Bema Discipleship Group that we're starting in April. Today, the registration for that opens. So in the letter, I talked more about that. If you've got questions, you can contact me. But it is on Church Center. If you want to register for that, you can. If you need the materials, like the CDs and the handouts, because you don't have access to Internet, um, there's going to be a question as you register that says, I need that stuff. Um, and I just need to be aware of that, like how many people are going to be a part and uh, what we're doing. And so uh, I already have some people that don't live in Huron that want to be a part uh, of that Sunday night gathering, but uh, we're opening it up for anybody that wants to be a part. So if you have friends that don't live in Huron and want to join by Zoom, uh, the more, I say the more the merrier, but at some point the group does get too large to have a discussion, but praise the Lord, we'll do our best. So I believe, as we talked about last week, that we are on a journey. And that journey has a destination. Uh, as I, You have to go back last week. I talked about the destination is not God. Uh, I think God is the journey. He is the path. He is the way. He is walking with us towards a destination. And last week I said, I believe the destination we're walking towards is restoration. 
That word means fullness, it means wholeness, it means maturity, it means completeness. And we are on a journey. We are on a journey individually, we are on a journey as a church body corporately, and we are moving towards where God has called us to go. This passage of Scripture, I was going to share this at the annual meeting, and as I was preparing for today, I felt like the Lord wanted me to put it into today, so I'm going to share it from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. The Lord our God, this is Moses recapping for the people of Israel right before they go into the promised land. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. I believe, as I said last week, it's time for us to move. Um, not talking about physical location, it's time for us to move. This is something that I believe the Lord has been saying to me uh, for more than a year. And uh, Restoration Church went through a lot of change uh, prior to 2020. We changed our church name, we changed our logo, we had a vision for what God wanted us to do. We wanted to be a church that makes an impact in our city. We wanted to work for the peace and prosperity of our city. We felt called to the downtown area. Uh, I felt discouraged when uh, the city did not approve the ordinance for us to have property downtown. And, uh, I, but we were looking for property. Where should we go? What should we buy? And it was during House of Prayer last summer that the Lord spoke plainly to my heart and said, what are you looking for? You're already here. Oh, yeah, we already are. Do what I put in your heart to do. Uh, I didn't listen to that. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. We'll get into that as, as we go through the day today. Uh, there's a lot of things that I'm going to try to do today, and I hopefully am going to bring it in um, all together, and it'll make sense in the end. Um, but we, we really felt like God put these things in our hearts. We started walking. Once we, and then COVID happened. Oh, praise God. And uh, everything just went crazy. And uh, it's just, it, we live in times that are literally unprecedented. Okay? It's just crazy, the time we live in. Uh, the divisiveness, the argumentative, like just the, the, and everybody is an expert on everything. And it's just really hard to pastor um, because everybody has a Bible and everybody has the Holy Spirit. And, you know, it just, whatever it is, you know, I, I don't need anyone else. It's just me and Jesus, my Bible, and I'm going to go do my thing. Uh, praise God for you. Go do your thing. But as a church, I believe God's calling us corporately to, to walk in the vision that he gave us at the beginning. Some of you might not remember it, but we, we documented it. I've got papers. If you want them, I'll give them to you. You can read over them. You can rehearse them. I'll make them available at the annual meeting. Uh, remind yourself what God has called us to do, and then begin to step into it. By the way, just a side note, uh, this past Monday night, the city approved a Hispanic church, a variance for them uh, to meet in the downtown area and have a church four to one. I love it. Um, I felt like, <laughs> felt like we've been fighting a battle for a long time. And uh, I, I, I loved hearing our commissioners uh, talk about our city and uh, that the downtown is a place for churches. So praise God. Um, but last week I shared really quick this picture. And uh, our vision at Restoration Church is to make the whole world purple. 
Um, because heaven and earth coming together, everywhere we are, we bring heaven and earth together. And that means salvation, that means discipleship, that means supernatural manifestations of the Spirit, that means miracles, it means the agape love of God, it means being self-sacrificing, it means serving our city, whether um, in big events as a church body or just in my individual life, I do things that serve others. Like, that is who we are as Restoration Church, and we are here to bless our city. We are here to be a light and to be salt and to make a difference in our community. That's who we are. That's what we're doing. There are three different groups of people that briefly I covered last week. Attenders who just come every Sunday. You're, you're here. You're, you're part. Um, but then I don't want you to just stay there. I want you to, to be a member. I want you to be like someone who says, hey, I'm a part of that body. Uh, I don't even want you to stay there. I want you to be a partner. I want you to be someone who comes to the table with us and helps us know what God is calling us to do corporately that walks alongside the other members of this body. Here's the thing. Can, you, can I serve Jesus and, uh, and just you know, be committed to a body? Do I have to be a part? No, you don't have to be a partner. You can serve Jesus. But you know, here's the thing too. You can just find someone and you can partner up with them and a man and a woman and you can live together and say, you know, we don't need a piece of paper. We're married like in our own heads and minds. And so praise God. Sometimes it's just the commitment that you make that says, you know what, here I am, and I'm going to put down roots, and I hope that's going to make sense in a little bit. But we as a body are on a journey, and I think we're the best thing out there, but I don't think we're the only thing out there. And people from time to time go to other churches, and you know what I say when they go to other churches? Praise God, be blessed. The body of Christ, we're not all the same part. Individually in a, a corporate body like this, uh, we don't all have the same perspective. Some of us do this, some of us do that. Uh, we need all the other parts. I look at the body of Christ in our city, and I, this has been my life for 25 years. I believe in the body of Christ in our city. I believe it's bigger than our church. I go to ministerial meetings that many other pastors don't want to be a part of, but I love those pastors. And some of them are from denominations that maybe some people would wonder if they're even Christian. Uh, I don't know. I don't care. But Jesus ate with Pharisees. And so I'm going to eat with people, and I'm going to sit at a table with people. And uh, I, I have developed relationships with pastors from denominations of different types throughout this city. And it's been a part of who I've been for the last 25 years. And I love doing it because I believe believe God is doing something bigger than our church. And I love the fact that you, you share me with other people. Um, I know that at times it, it, it probably um, causes me to neglect this body more than, more than I should, okay? And I, I promise you when that happens, the Lord reminds me and it, he brings me back and he says, hey, you got to still pay attention here. But what I'm, I, I believe that God is going to do something in our city, I believe it, bigger than our church. I do. And so I believe every body of Christ in this city is necessary and needed, and some of them are going to do things different than us. Just because I believe this is the way we ought to do it doesn't mean I think everybody ought to do it that way. Some are the foot, some are the hand, some are the mouth, some are the nose. I don't know what every other church is supposed to do. And if you feel like you fit in another church better, praise God, be in that church. But if God has called you here, then do not be content to be where you are. Get on a journey to connect to this body or find a body you can connect to because you will not flourish by yourself. You will grow, you will go to heaven, you will be in the kingdom, but if you want to flourish, if you want to be a hundredfold type of person, 
oh, we're going to be hundredfold type of people. I believe you can't do it alone. You have got to commit to the body of Christ. And that is the gospel of the kingdom that I believe Jesus preached. And so, today we've called this message, and by we I mean me, maybe me and the Holy Spirit, I don't know. Um, Establishing your life in Christ. Establishing your life in Christ. And you'll notice, that's the title of the book that I gave you this week. Establishing your life in Christ. That's what that book is supposed to do. But what we're going to do is actually talk a little bit about last week's book. And if you've read last week's book, that you know that the parable of the sower was like the main part of that book. And so if you have a Bible and you want to reference it, I'm not going to read this whole passage. It's too long to read it all. Um, But I want you to open it, Matthew chapter 13, if you want to reference some of the verses that I point out. Or if you want to write them down, you can do it that way. Um, If you've got your little booklet and you can see it, uh, you can open that too and maybe make some notes. Because here's the thing. I, I love this book. I do. I love what they do with it. They take this parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 and they talk about um, how we're going to present the good news. And it's good. And I don't disagree with them. I just think they're missing the main point Jesus is making. Let me explain. So this story is told in Matthew chapter 13. It's also told in Mark chapter 4. It's also told in Luke chapter 8. And if you've ever noticed, like in your Bible, it may say, the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. The word gospel, as we've talked about, is good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. We've we've narrowed the gospel in our day and age to Jesus forgives my sin and I go to heaven when I die, which is a central part of the gospel. That's the entrance. Okay, the gospel is bigger than Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven. The gospel is Jesus made a way for us to enter the kingdom as sons and daughters and live on mission with God as sons and daughters and take the kingdom everywhere and turn, turn the world purple. That's the gospel. Okay, that's the gospel that Jesus preached. Matthew chapter 4, 17, we, we talked about that verse last week. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's near. Jesus preached that gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. So when we come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel according to these different guys, what, what we have to think about is who are they writing to? Because who they're writing to matters. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. Okay? Mark wrote to Romans. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, we are basically a carbon copy of the Roman Empire. Okay? I mean, a couple little tweaks, but the Roman Empire in the world of that day, they were Western, they were logical, they were linear. And if you've ever noticed, the Gospel of Mark moves quickly. Immediately. This happened. This happened. Immediately. Immediately. Can I tell you, Jesus did not move at that pace. But when Mark wrote the gospel of Mark, when he wrote the gospel according to Mark to Romans, he presented it to them in a way that would keep their attention. Because the whole point of the gospel was to teach them that Jesus is who he said he is and he's bringing entrance to the kingdom. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he had a Jewish audience in mind, so he wrote differently. When Luke wrote his orderly account, which that word ordered account, by the way, is the word sequenced account. And what I think Luke does is Luke, who is a proselytite, what that means is Luke was a Gentile, but he became a Jew. 
He got circumcised. He became a full-blooded Jew. And what Luke does is he writes an account, I believe, that is supposed to be laid aside the readings in synagogue. So if you take the reading from Moses and you take the reading from the prophets and you take a reading from Luke and you put them together, you read it that week in synagogue. That's how I think the Gospel of Luke is designed. So Luke is writing mostly to a Jewish audience. The Gospel of John is brilliant. Uh, John is writing to a Jewish Greek audience in Asia Minor, totally different, um, not the same type of Jew that's in uh, Jerusalem, okay, because they're away from the temple, so they're more, uh, I hate to say worldly Jews, but they're just different, okay, culturally different. So John is writing to both of them, and he layers his gospel in such a way that you could study the gospel of John every day for the rest of your life and never exhaust all that John is doing. Just can't do it. It's just crazy. So why, why, why do we do that? These Gospels were written about 20 to 30 years after Jesus left. So what's not happening is that the disciples are not like, uh, okay, let's hurry up and write all this stuff down so we don't forget it. That's not what's happening. Um, I actually believe some of it was written down as they went. If you've read, saw The Chosen, Matthew's always writing stuff down. I believe that totally could have happened. Stuff could have been written down. But the Gospels were written later. And what the, 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 the disciples are doing is they're saying, here's my audience. I'm going to present the gospel to them in a way they need to hear it so they know that Jesus is who he says he is. So they're going to highlight different things that happen. John tells us they didn't write everything down. They didn't write everything Jesus did. And sometimes we're like, well, maybe they, why did that person say this and this person said this, but it's the same story. Maybe they just remembered it differently. Could be. Or maybe they're writing to a different audience, so they're bringing out something different in that story so that that person, that group, can see Jesus as who he is, as the Son of God, as the Messiah. And so the booklet that we read this last week emphasizes this parable of the sower. In fact, your Bible probably calls it the parable of the sower. And the focus of the parable of the sower is what happens when we sow the word of God. And they give us lots of things that we can do. Think about this as you sow on the, the hard ground, the path. Or think about this as you sow on the rocky soil. How do you pray for those people? And here's the thing. I believe every word of it. Do it. Okay? But you have to present the gospel different depending on the soil you're reaching. Absolutely. You have to. You have to pray for the soil to be receptive, to hear the word. Do it. Absolutely. I agree with all of the book. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not teach the parable of the sower. He taught the parable of the soils. The parable of the soils. Jesus, as a rabbi, as a teacher of his disciples, is using a parable. He's using a story to teach them a truth. Very common practice. Every rabbi would do it. Every person that had disciples would use parables to teach them stories. And what Jesus is doing is he's teaching them about the kingdom of God and how you receive the kingdom of God. If you remember when Lynn was here and he talked to us about like the subheadings in our Bibles, um, the, the writers of the Bible did not do that. Uh, translators have done that to help us understand it. So when you read the parable of the sower, you are already conditioned to read this parable from the viewpoint of the sower. And I believe Jesus is telling it from the viewpoint of he's the sower. How are you receiving the message? And every one of us is called to wrestle with, are we receiving the message of the kingdom into our lives as good soil? When Jesus comes along, and he's teaching his disciples in these parables. 
This is a common practice. But all of a sudden in verse 10, I don't have it on the screen. You can look it up later. In verse 10, the disciples come to him and they say, why are you teaching the people in parables? They're not surprised that he's teaching in parables. He's done this for them. Why are you teaching the people? The, the, the rabbi will use parables because discovery is a part of the process. In other words, as, what we like is we like lectures. You like me as a nice Western pastor to get up here and give you three bullet points of what we're supposed to do. Boom, boom, boom. Please, pastor, give us our linear point. That's not wrong. That's just what we like. The Eastern thinker isn't that way. They want to dig. They want to they discover. They want to get into the Word. They want to... They and, and when you do that, you actually learn and understand at a far better level than just writing it down. If I put a list up there and wrote it down, I guarantee you 85 to 90% of what I've told you today is going to be forgotten by the end of the day today. It's just the, how the brain works. But if you start learning how to dig for yourself you're going to understand it on a whole new level. That's why rabbis taught in parables. The problem is that common people don't have the tools to do that. So the disciples are like, Jesus, why are you teaching in parables to all the people? They don't know how to dig like we know how to dig, like you've taught us. And, and Jesus basically says, so that they won't understand. That's what he says. Look at it. Verse 14 of, Mark, uh, of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus is not a very good culturally relevant pastor. But what he's saying is, in essence, I'm going to give them just enough that they're going to hear it, and if they hear it and latch onto it and dig, if they want it, they'll dig. They'll discover it. Jesus didn't come. Uh, he wasn't concerned about everybody following him. He was, he was after the ones that were hungry. And here's the thing. God will come where, where there's hunger for him. If there's a hungry heart, he'll come. And he understands that if you, if you journey with him, you're going to understand it. So the farmer in this story that's sowing seed, I believe God is the, the, he's the farmer. He's the one that sows the word. Now, he sometimes uses human vessels to sow the word. Totally believe it. Sometimes we will sow the word. But you and I always sow the word from the farmer. He is the sower of the word. I am not the sower of the word. You are not the sower of the word. He is always the sower of the word. It's his word. He is the one that does it. Okay? So what Jesus wants us to wrestle with and think about is how do we make sure we are good soil so that we receive the message about the kingdom and produce the fruit of the kingdom? That's the essence of this parable. So the first group, the path. The path is this hard ground. How do we, how do we make sure we're not the hard ground? The hard ground does not understand the message of the kingdom. Now, you and I have been conditioned and taught that that word understands means that they reject the gospel completely. They don't understand it. Yes, that people is a part of it. But I believe there are people that are the path that have said the sinner's prayer. There are people that are the path. Their hearts are hard and they go to church every Sunday. They may even read the scripture. But the word of God does not penetrate the heart. 
Maybe there's a surface level understanding of it. Maybe they put some surface level things into practice. But they have not become a person that says, I want to invite the kingdom of God deep into my heart and I want it to transform me from the inside out. They may be a group of people much like the Pharisees. The Pharisees had hard hearts. But they knew the scripture better than anybody. And they were applying it on the outward. Jesus is after the heart. He wants it to go deep. How do our hearts get hard? What do we do if we're the path? If we're the path and we're that hard heart, what do we do to cultivate better soil so that we receive the word? Well, I would tell you this. The answer's in the text. When I say it's in the text, I don't mean it's in Matthew chapter 13. When a rabbi would teach with a parable, the rabbi would put something in the parable that would point back to the the Old Testament Scripture so that the, the disciple, who has memorized the Scripture, by the way, would recognize he wants me to go back. So what we got to do is go back into the Old Testament Scripture and find out where's, where's hard ground? Where's the path? Where, what am I looking for? And you're going to find something like Hosea 10.12. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up the unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness upon you. Let me say first and foremost, it's time to seek the Lord. This is not about willpower, discipline, you know, just picking ourselves up by the bootstraps kind of thinking. It's all about him. It's about saying, God, I need your word to penetrate my heart. Every time we pick up this book, we ought to say, God, I need your word today to penetrate my heart. I don't want to take it on a surface level. I want it to go deep, cut away at my heart because I need you to do it. I can't just do it because I have all the tools and because I've been trained and because I know what I'm doing. Like, it's not about that. It's all about the heart that postures itself in a way that says, I need you. It's humility. That's part of breaking up the unplowed ground of our hearts. But this so righteousness, what is that all about? Righteousness is about generosity. It's about mercy. It's about being in right relationship with God and with others. That's the Old Testament idea of righteousness, if you will. So if you remember back when I taught on spiritual disciplines, I brought out like lots of spiritual disciplines, and one of them was the, the discipline of generosity. When our hearts are hard, you know what we do? We, we recognize it. We say, man, I got to break up. I, my heart is selfish. It's hard. I need to do something to, to, to break that up. I'm going to sow generosity. I'm going to tip extra. I'm going to do more chores at home than I'm required to do. I'm going to actually do more at work than I'm required to do. That's a life of generosity. I'm going to see how much more I can go above and beyond. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to be merciful. When people deserve something from me, I'm going to withhold that and I'm going to give goodness in return. I am going to go through a season, whether it's a week, a month, and I'm going to just be overly generous for a period of time because I want to cultivate a heart that is receptive to the message of the kingdom. That's how we break up the fallow ground of our hearts. I think another way we do it is through the discipline of submission. You're like, what's the discipline of submission? Here's the discipline of submission in a nutshell. Do everything you're told that doesn't violate your conscience or violate the word of God for a period of time. Most of you are looking at me like I have jumped off the deep end. The American way, most of us, don't you dare tell me what to do. I, can, I get to decide for myself what to do. Praise the Lord. 
for most of the, the season of life, do that. But every once in a while, because now we, we argue with our kids' coaches, we argue with our kids' teachers, we argue with our bosses, and we all know better than everybody. I know how to do this job better than my boss. I know how to do that thing better than that kid, not my person's teacher. I know how to do this church better than pastors. I know how to... Ah, la, la, la. And every once in a while, the hardness of our hearts. Oh, do you see how it gets so calloused? And so what we do is... When our boss says to do something, we just do it without any retort. When our parents ask us to do something, we just do it. When our teachers ask us, when, when, when our spouse asks us to do something, if it doesn't violate my conscience or violate the word, for the next month, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work on the discipline of submission to break up the fallow ground of my heart because I want the kingdom to come. Don't take my word for it. Try it. See what happens. So then we go to the rocky soil. We go into the rocky soil, and it receives the message with joy, but it doesn't put down deep root. So in other words, when difficulty comes, it withers. So here's the thing. When it gets hard, it withers. We live in a society that does not know how to put down roots. When marriage gets hard, I just find a new one. When church gets hard, I just find a new one. When life gets hard, I just move. I just get a different job. Because, I, I mean, I don't want to put down roots. But here's the thing. If we want to flourish in the kingdom, if we want the kingdom to take root in our lives in a way that produces a hundredfold, we have to be willing to put down roots. And if we aren't willing to do hard things, then we're not going to see it. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24, Therefore, as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down into the flame, so their roots will decay. Yeah, look up in the Old Testament, all the places where you see roots, and try to find something that Jesus could be referring to when he talks about this. And their flowers blow away like dust, for they have rejected the law of the Lord. And before you, before you say, oh yeah, that's our world today. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about people who are receiving the kingdom. Okay? Is it going deep? Or have you rejected the law of the Lord that says how you treat your neighbor matters? That we're a corporate body of Christ. All of that is in the law of the Lord too. It's not just that who I have sex with that matters. It's not just like whether or not I have an abortion. It's whether or not I take in the kingdom and I produce the fruit of the kingdom in every relationship, in all of my speech. This is good stuff, Pastor Tom. Thanks for sharing this with us. Psalm 1. But this person, their delight is in the law of the Lord. The, on his law, they meditate day and night. The person becomes like a tree planted by streams of water and they yield their fruit in seasons. What disciplines could we do to make sure we put down roots? We should read the Word. We should meditate on the Word. We should memorize the Word. We should study the Word. Sometimes we celebrate the Word. Sometimes when I don't feel like celebrating, I use the Word to say, He has been good to me. I don't feel like doing this today. I just need to dig. I need... I'm not going to do what I feel like. I'm going to dig into the Word. I'm not going to let what I feel dictate. I'm going to put down roots. Why, why do we have to have corporate prayer? Why do we have to have worship, corporate worship? Why do we have to have corporate study? Because sometimes, sometimes, 
I need to borrow from you. Sometimes I just can't do it on my own. But when I stand next to you in a worship service, and you can do it, sometimes I just need you to do it for me. Pastor, why do you want us to sit close together? Because I want you to be able to be someone that can be borrowed from. Because it's not about you just coming to church so you can get something and then you can go home and you can live your life. Some days there's going to be somebody that comes in that they can't do it. And your faith might be what they need to draw from so that they can put down roots. That's the body of Christ. I want to be there. Because I tell you, every day when I wake up, there's not a song of the Lord in my heart. I've read a quote this week from um, George Mueller. And George Mueller, in essence, said, my first priority every day is to be happy in the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. My job every morning when I get out of bed is to just get happy in Jesus. No matter what I'm facing. Psalm 13 is a great one for that. Psalm 63 is another good one. All right. We need to get into the Word. Can I just say, too, some of you, the Lord has given you a word in your past. And it's one of these things. It's one of these disciplines that you are supposed to be having put into practice. And maybe you did for a season and then you quit. Or maybe you never even put it into practice because you were like waiting for the feeling to come before you put it into practice. And what happens is when you pick up your mat and walk, that's when you start finding wholeness. Well, Pastor Tom, I tried. No, no, no. You don't try, God. You do until it happens. That's faith. Here's the word of the Lord. I'm going to walk that way until he showers righteousness upon me, rain upon me. So we come to the thorny soil. The thorny soil is the fruitfulness is choked out by the cares of life, the anxieties of life, the worries of life. So in other words, it's crowded out by busy. The kingdom doesn't produce fruit in this life because it's busy. Jeremiah chapter 4. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground. There it is again. And do not sow among thorns. Can I tell you, busyness and hardness go together. Busy people's hearts get hard. It's right there in the text. Do not sow among thorns. Rather, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah. What do we do? How do we circumcise our hearts? How do we get to the place? We start cutting our schedule. We slow down. We use solitude. We use Sabbath. We use fasting. I'm going to tell you, this thing, the entertainment choices, the, the pace of life that we live, it sucks spiritual hunger from our lives. It does. We, we, we want to entertain. We're so tired, we come home from work and we just sit on the couch like scrolling through, watching videos, and we don't stand up and go, oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, praise it. I'm going to tell you, if, you're, if we're going to, to bear fruit, we, start, we have to start remembering the past. I told you a few weeks ago that the Lord put this word on my heart about a year ago, that I needed to like slow down, I needed to Sabbath, but Sabbath is like way over there. Like in my life, for me to Sabbath, let's just be honest, it's a long way off. I have to change a lot to get there. And so what happened is I didn't do anything. 
And then all of a sudden, when that word came back this, the, in the last couple months, I'm like, I never did anything with that word. I got to do something. Holy Spirit, what do I do? Because I can't get over there. And all he said was, go 24 hours every week without this thing. And I'm like, and I, it's not like mind-blowing. It's, I mean, I have to prepare for it. And some of you maybe get that text message that says, hey, I'm taking a break from my phone. Um, but if you need me, call me. If not, I'll reply later. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you something. It has already begun to change my life. And here's the thing. I'm hungry for there. I was not hungry for that when I was doing this all the time. But it creates a hunger. It's just one step. And now the Holy Spirit's starting to show me the next step. And I'm like, are you sure we're ready for the next step? Like, I just got this one, like, under my belt a little bit. And I'm not even fully there. It's the next step. Why? Because I want to be good soil. And here's the thing. At some point in our lives, it's not like, are you hard? Are you rocky? Are you thorny? We can be all of them all at the same time or sometimes. I want to be good soil. And the good soil bears much fruit. It bears 160 or 30 times. Oh, I'm running out of time. Praise you, Jesus. Um, Matthew writes 160, 30. Mark writes 30, 60, 100. Did they just misremember? Like, what did Jesus say? Mark is writing to Romans. How do Romans think? 30, 60, 100. 30 is good, 60 is better, but 100, that's good. So we always go, but for a Jewish person, the first number is the most significant. In fact, Luke's version doesn't even say anything but 100. 100 times. Now, here's the thing. You can go to lots of Old Testament passages about thorns, about hard ground, about rocks. There's only one place in the entire Old Testament that talks about a hundredfold. Only one. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Now, you'd have to go back and read all of uh, chapter 26. It's a story about Isaac's life. And basically what happens is there's a famine and God says, don't you dare go to Egypt. You stay in the land. Man, when, when it gets hard, we want to run. And God says, don't run from what I've, what I've called you to do. Don't run, run from where I, where I put you. I, just stay in the land. Stay in the land. But he's afraid. He's afraid because Abimelech is there and he's afraid because his wife is beautiful. Does this sound familiar? The sins of the father. And so he says, she's my sister comes out, he's not his sister, Abimelech gets mad, sends him away. So he's out in the wilderness, he plants a crop, he gets a hundredfold. He's digging a well, he's trying to find water. He digs a well, people come out and quarrel with him, that's our well. Uh, okay, and, and rather than say, no, it's my well, it's my father who dug this well, he just goes and he digs another well. And, he keeps, and everywhere he goes to dig a well, people quarrel with him. Rather than quarrel back, he just digs another well. And at one point, he comes to the place where he digs a well. No one quarrels. He's got this hundredfold. And Abimelech comes to him in verse 28. Look at this. Verse 28. We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. The guy who got angry and sent him away and said, get out of here. What happens when we become good soil? When we put down deep roots? When we persevere in those hard places, when we start moving towards instead of away, when we cut away at the thorns in our lives, when we break up the unplowed ground of our hearts, the world then says, we can tell the Lord is with you. 
How can we tell the Lord is with you? Because your building is full? Because you've got lots of money? No, we can tell the Lord is with you because his favor is upon you. Because the way you, the way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your spouse, the way you just act at work, the way you live in your daily life, you're, the, the, the fruit of the kingdom is very evident in your life. Those are the kind of people that we want to be. Where the, the kingdom of God takes such root. And Isaac becomes the model of that. Isaac becomes the model of a person that trusts the promises of God. That sows generosity and just perseveres in faithfulness in the land. And so today, here's what you've got to wrestle with. What kind of soil are you? In this moment, in this season of your life, what, is it gonna, what has to happen for the kingdom of God to take root in your life? So that it produces hundredfold type of fruit in your life. Thorns that need to be cut away. Roots that need to go down deep. Path that needs to be broken up. And here's the thing. I don't care what the word means for someone else. I don't care what the word means for people out in the world. What does the word mean for you right now? And every single person in this room the Lord wants to say something to you. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. There's some area of your life today that he wants to just shine a light on, not because he's mad at you, not because he wants to shame you, but because he wants, I want to take you there. And in order to get there, we got to take this step. And for some of you, it's a step he's already told you to take and you've not taken or you've walked away from. Some of you, you just need to remember. You just need to say, Holy Spirit, I need to remember what it, what it used to be like when I did this stuff. What it used to be like in that day. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. Every one of us is going to be in a different place. As I've prayed for today, as I've prayed for the service, I don't know if you need to break up the hard ground of your heart. I don't know if you need to put down deep roots. I don't know if you need to cut away at some thorns. I don't know. All of us need to persevere. That's the key. But I've asked the Lord to say, show us how your word is a lamp for our feet today. What's that one thing that I need to put into practice so that the word, the kingdom message takes deeper root in my life and produces a harvest that only God can get credit for. Can I tell you something? A hundredfold crop is impossible. It's impossible. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying the only way it happened is if God intervened. You, nobody on earth could plant a seed and, and reap a hundredfold. In this context, I mean, I know today we think, but for these people, they're like, there's no way. It's not possible. A hundredfold. That's insane. That's, that's what we're looking for. And so, God, we want to be people of a hundredfold. We want to be people that the message of the kingdom takes such deep root in our lives that people notice. Supernatural things begin to take place. God, we're able to love our enemies. We're able to do good to those who hate us and, and persecute us. God, we want to get to that place. It just seems so far away. And so, Holy Spirit, 
I ask today that you'd bring it in. That your word today would be just like a lamp for our feet. That no one today would be overwhelmed by how many steps they have to take. But every one of us would know that one thing that you're asking us to do. To begin to let your word take deeper root in our lives. Holy Spirit, show us with clarity today that step. How do we prepare our hearts? How do we break up the hard ground? How do we put down deeper roots? What kind of rocks do we need to remove from the soil so those roots can go deeper? What kind of thorns need to be cut out of our lives? Holy Spirit, we hear you say it's time to move. We've stayed too long at this place. It's time to move. It's time to move towards what you've called us to do. As as an individual person and as a corporate body, it's time to move. It's time to move towards. It's time to take that first step. And your word says that when we take that step, God, you'll begin to shower righteousness. You'll begin to shower blessing on us. So Holy Spirit, give us courage to take that step today. To apply your word to our lives. Help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book this week, I encourage you as you go through it, I think the Holy Spirit can use that to kind of bring to your mind. If he's not brought anything to your mind today, keep asking. Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? What soil am I? And what do I need to do? What step do I need to take? Thanks for being here today. Uh, If you need prayer and haven't been prayed for yet, the prayer team's always available after service as well. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you before you go. Um, If you haven't got your packets, books are out on the table in the back. If you need extra copies, they are there as well. Offering baskets are on those tables as well. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go.